Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So I know Russ and I mentioned it last week, but because of our schedules being kind of all over the place, and because we want to make sure that we don't miss any episodes right around uh, WonderCon in particular, since yay, Nerdsmith is going to WonderCon, uh, we decided to record a few solo episodes that we're going to kind of throw in in between our normal duo episodes where we chat together. So this week, Uh, especially since there's been so much news about it, I wanted to cover COVID-19, which is getting commonly referred to as the coronavirus that's been everywhere this year. This particular episode is one I decided to do solo, partly because I have uh, just, I work in the medical field. Now, I'm not a human doctor, and I don't want anyone to take what I'm saying over what their own doctor tells them to do. So please, if you're having any symptoms, if the doctor has told you to do something specific, listen to your doctor, don't listen to me. I'm just trying to give you some general information so that you have a little more info about exactly what COVID-19 is. Because at this point, a lot of people know that it's a virus that's spreading, that some people have died from it, and it's got a lot of people scared but not everyone fully understands exactly what it is. So I'm going to break it down a little bit and explain it from sort of a biological standpoint, what this virus we're dealing with is, and then also go over some of the information specifically that the CDC recommends in terms of prevention and also just, you know, how to keep yourself safe and healthy. So to start off with, viruses are a really unique type of entity or organism. There's debate over whether or not to consider them alive because they don't actually contain much of in the way of their own cell structure in terms of, you know, like human cells have different pieces that create the cell. There's the lipid layer on the outside and then inside there's the mitochondria, which anyone who's taken biology in high school may have heard at one point jokingly referred to as the powerhouse of the cell. You know, there's different pieces within the cell that create a whole functional living cell. And viruses don't have all of that. Viruses only have bits and pieces. And one of the things that they do and the way that they replicate is by their DNA or RNA, depending on the type of virus, getting into one of our cells or getting into a host cell and then it replicates within the host cell. And there's a couple of different ways this works. Now, because I'm talking about COVID-19 today specifically, I am gonna be talking specifically about how that particular virus does it. The COVID-19 virus is one of many different types of a coronavirus. The coronavirus is named that uh, because of its appearance when you look at it under a microscope. There's a lot of different coronaviruses, and there's some that are very species-specific. For example, I work with cats, as I've mentioned before, and there's a feline coronavirus. However, the feline coronavirus very specifically is sort of an intestinal parasite for them, and it causes a lot of vomiting and diarrhea sometimes, depending on the cat. 
but it's in their stool. So like the feline coronavirus lives in their intestinal tract and in their stool. So the only way that you or I could get it, even exposed to it, would be fecal oral transfer. And since it's a cat specific virus, at this point at least, there's no way for us to get it. We can't catch it from them. However, that coronavirus and the one that we're currently dealing with, COVID-19, both have a similar looking structure under a microscope in that if you looked at one of them, they would both appear to be sort of a round blob with a lot of little spikes sticking off of it. It almost looks like if you took the cross section of a round pincushion. If you took a pincushion and just covered it all over the place in pins with the little round head sticking out and then cut it in half, that's kind of what a coronavirus under a microscope looks like. It's a little round ball and it has little almost pin-like protrusions all over it. So because of that halo or crown of protrusions, they refer to it as the coronavirus, as corona meaning crown in Latin. Now, corona in particular is what's referred to as, well, all coronaviruses, I should say, are what's referred to as an envelope virus, and it's also an RNA virus. So an RNA virus is one that specifically replicates inside the cytoplasm in a cell. What it does is once the virus has gotten into the cell, it um, sort of replaces itself into the replication. And so it starts creating its own RNA inside your own cells. And that's how it spreads and it goes from cell to cell. Um, in terms of the envelope, what that's referring to is sort of an outside casing that is on the different viral packages, I guess you could call it. Essentially, the virus has um, an outer layer that protects it when it goes from one cell to another. So if you have cell A and cell B, when it travels from cell A to cell B, the virus creates this layer of protective uh, material around itself and sort of envelopes itself into something to protect it so that your white blood cells, your body, doesn't realize that it's there and doesn't go and attack it. It's a way for it to protect itself so that it is uh, harder to kill between cells. Now, one of the other things that it does, however, is that because it's surrounded by something, um, it does mean that uh, it, it can be protected somewhat when it's outside the host body, but it does mean that you can use different things like heat and detergents to uh, sterilize an area. And actually, strangely enough, even though it's got this protective layer, that layer really only works well inside a body. So it really only works well inside the host. So the nice thing about envelope viruses, which COVID-19 is, is that they're relatively easy to sterilize the area compared to other viruses. So if I had an envelope virus and a non-envelope virus, it's easier for me to sterilize an area and completely clean an area where an envelope virus like COVID-19 has been, 
as opposed to a non-enveloped virus. So despite the fact that it is obviously something that's causing a lot of issues in the world right now, in many ways it is actually a virus that's not particularly hard to kill off in the environment. The problem is when it gets into your body, it is then protected by that envelope, which is why one of the many things that the CDC is recommending in order to keep yourself safe and healthy is to just try to avoid all contact with people who've been exposed, which obviously everyone's trying to do anyway. On top of that, trying to just minimize your exposure to areas where you could get the virus because if the virus gets into your system, whether through your hands or shaking hands with someone or if someone coughs on you or sneezes on you or something like that, uh, anything like that, if it gets into your body, the envelope can then protect it a little more, which makes it uh, uh, easier for it to transfer from cell to cell. Whereas if it's just outside, like on a doorknob, if you wipe the doorknob with a Clorox wipe or something like that, you're most likely going to kill all of that virus that might have been on the doorknob because it's very susceptible to things like bleach and detergents. So a Clorox wipe is going to kill it off. And coronaviruses in general are something that I am familiar dealing with. Now, again, as I mentioned, the particular coronavirus that I'm familiar with is the feline coronavirus. It is specifically feline, and it's in the stool. And it's one where we do see it occasionally. It's not uncommon to see a cat with the feline coronavirus. And we use a very specific dilution of bleach to kill it off. Um, I've mentioned before, I think in some of my other episodes, dealing with cat illnesses and things, but the dilution that we recommend is one part bleach, regular bleach, not like the super concentrated stuff, just regular one part bleach to 32 parts water. That's a dilution that's strong enough to kill a lot of different germs and bacteria and viruses, and it's also very easy to make and doesn't require a lot of product to make it so you don't have to go out and buy gallons and gallons of bleach you could buy a gallon of bleach and it's going to last you for a very long time because you would be mixing that one gallon of bleach with 32 gallons of water and that's a lot now it is still strong enough to sometimes bleach your clothing so keep that in mind if you decide to make up a batch of this dilute bleach to clean anything with but it does work well overall as a disinfectant now, this is the dilution that I am familiar with using for sterilization. I would recommend that you reach out, either, you know, look it up on the CDC. I wasn't able to find a specific information on that one when I was searching their site, but you could double check me. Uh, you could also talk to your doctor and see what they would recommend in terms of sterilizing things. Now, I mentioned Clorox wipes. Any kind of Clorox or bleach type of wipe could potentially do the job as well. I just happen to be most familiar with the 1 to 32 dilution. A really easy way to do this, it's not a perfect, perfect match with the 1 to 32, but it's really close, is to go get um, a 32-ounce spray bottle, just one of, you know, the regular water spray bottles that you use for cleaning around the house. If you put one ounce of bleach in the bottom, you can then fill the rest of the bottle all the way to the top or the fill line to get to the 32 ounces and you've got a roughly 1 to 32 dilution of bleach. It's very quick, takes very little bleach, and that one spray bottle can then disinfect a large area very easily because there's a lot in there. That's 32 ounces of bleach water. That'll do a lot of cleaning. 
And so that's one thing you can do to use around the house that I would recommend. Um, again, I can't stress this enough. Please talk to your own doctor, look up information for yourself on the CDC, but I just know from my own personal experience that this is an effective sterilization concentration for what I work with. And it is something too where I have to admit I have used that dilution of bleach on my skin. Um, I've gotten it on my hands before. I've gotten it on, I've actually gotten a little bit on my, like my cheek before. And I didn't personally have any skin reactions or issues with that specific dilution of bleach. I would never recommend putting straight bleach on your skin or on anything like that. Don't do that. That's very bad for you and very dangerous. But that specific dilution of bleach that I have worked with, the 1 to 32 of regular non-super concentrated bleach, I have safely used on my hands without having any major issues. Now my skin is somewhat sensitive, but not extremely sensitive. So please, if you happen to be someone with any kind of skin issue or anything like that, don't do this because I don't want you to hurt yourself. You could check with your doctor and see what they would recommend, but I just would personally recommend not do it because I don't want you to injure yourself at all. However, the 1 to 32 dilution does work very well for things like doorknobs or if you happen to have an item that you don't mind getting bleached. So for instance, if you know, you know, say you had a friend who was coughing and they came over and they were using a specific coffee cup or something. Now with the coronavirus in particular, if you washed that coffee cup in hot water, like in a dishwasher, you'd probably be fine because it's susceptible to heat outside of the host body. However, if you wanted to go the extra step, you could spray that cup down with the dilute bleach before you washed it. It's just an extra level of sterilization. And that's an example of a way you could use it. Um, hand sanitizers and things like that can obviously also help. But it is important to remember that, you know, as people have been saying, a lot of people are going out and buying up these products and they're selling out. And the problem is that then people who actually need them for their health for other reasons are going to have trouble finding them. And I do know that even those of us who are in medical professions like myself are having trouble getting access to certain items that we need in order to be able to take care of our patients because everyone is very worried and scared because there have been deaths from COVID-19. And obviously that is important. It is something to keep in mind the fact that this virus has caused death. However, there are a lot of people who are concerned and going out and purchasing things that have not necessarily been in a position to be exposed to anyone. And so I believe even the Surgeon General came out and was essentially asking everyone to calm down a little bit because medical professionals like doctors are not going to be able to get surgical masks and things like that that they need to perform surgery because everyone's purchasing them. If you do want to get yourself some sort of surgical mask, I would recommend you know, looking into it, but you don't have to get the disposable ones that everyone's getting. If you're getting it for yourself, meaning you can clean it at home however you're going to do so, then you can buy reusable surgical masks. They, they make them, they often refer to them as sort of dust masks or um, allergen masks, things like that. They're very popular over in Asia because a lot of people over there will wear them 
not only during the cold seasons, but also during allergy season to try to prevent themselves from getting as much pollen and dust up their noses. Now, this is not perfect protection. And honestly, even surgical masks are not perfect protection. They don't keep out 100% of germs. They're just going to keep out a lot more than not having one. And it does also help you prevent from accidentally touching your mouth right after you've touched something. But that's it. They're not perfect. It's not perfect protection. So that's something to keep in mind. And if you get the reusable ones, you could get several and then you could wash them at home yourself in whatever cleansing process makes you feel comfortable that they are clean. And so then you'd have that extra level of control over exactly what's on the mask. So that's something to keep in mind. I would recommend, obviously, you know, speak with your medical professionals, speak with your doctors. Please, 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 please look up information for yourself as well. I'm just trying to give some information that I know is correct, or at least as correct as I can be, given that I'm not a human doctor, so that you guys have some more information. And especially because I know there's a lot of people worried about this. So I want to make sure that if you are one of our listeners, that you have information that has been looked up and gone through and is coming from someone who has at least a decent amount of biological understanding as opposed to, you know, a post on Twitter that someone puts up that might not be wrong but might not give all the details that you need. I'm going to go into our mid-roll real quick and then when I come back, I will be talking more about exactly what the coronavirus is, what we know so far, and some of the things that the CDC recommends. Okay, everyone. So for today's mid-roll, I'm going to try to go quick since this is a big topic and I know everyone's really interested in it lately. So first off, I want to talk about World Anvil. They're an amazing world management and campaign management software. So for authors who are trying to flesh out their worlds and make a really wonderful place where they can access all the information for dungeon masters or other game masters who are running a campaign and want their their players to have access to information about the world and how the different NPCs and characters match up. It's just an amazing tool. They even won an Any Award for being such an amazing campaign management tool. So I definitely recommend you check them out. That's worldanvil.com. The other sponsor of Nerdsmith who are equally amazing, we love them so much, are Die Hard Dice. Now, Die Hard Dice, all the wonderful people over at Castle Die Hard are fantastic and they make beautiful dice. They have polymer sets and they also have these gorgeous metal sets, which they've actually designed themselves from the shape all the way up to the color schemes. And they have a bunch of different ones that are just beautiful. Not to mention beyond beautiful, they also sound amazing for anyone who likes dice sound ASMR. For anyone who doesn't, I apologize. And so I can't recommend them enough. That's dieharddice.com. And at dieharddice.com, if you go and for your first purchase or your next purchase, it's a one-time use coupon. But if you type in the code geekthyself, you'll get 15, 1-5% off your purchase. It's a one-time use code, so it's only your first or your next purchase, but it's definitely a good coupon to use. And a lot of the other Nerdsmith shows also have coupons. So if you're a listener here, it's a good idea to keep an ear out for some of those other coupons in the other mid-rolls. Just a hint. All right. And with that, I'm going to get back into this week's episode and talk to you more about COVID-19. 
Hi everyone, welcome back. So one of the things I wanted to start off by talking about because I realized it as I was doing the mid-roll is that I keep referring to the virus specifically as COVID-19. And for anyone who's wondering why, the reason is because as I've already mentioned, there's a lot of different coronaviruses. And in fact, one of the coronaviruses that I'm most familiar with is the one that I work with in cats. Now, COVID-19, for anyone who doesn't know, the reason it's called COVID-19 is because of what it is. It stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019 because it was discovered in 2019 and it's a coronavirus disease that is out there in the world. It's basically medical shorthand because honestly, there's so many different viruses and bacteria and things like that that a lot of times things do get shortened like that anyone in a medical profession seeing COVID-19 would then be able to know, oh, okay, it's a coronavirus and it's, it's coronavirus disease and it's from 2019. That's what that shorthand means. However, that is significantly more accurate than just referring to it as the coronavirus because there are so many different coronaviruses out there. There's more than just the one we're dealing with now. There's the feline one that I'm used to seeing and then um, actually the SARS virus that we had back in 2003 SARS is also a coronavirus the full taxonomy on it when people are talking about it in a medical journal is actually SARS-CoV because it's a coronavirus so that's something to keep in mind and of course there's other there's been a couple other variations of strains of SARS out there since then but that specifically is why I keep referring to it as COVID-19 now, unfortunately, specifically with COVID-19, there are some negatives to being sort of the newest one on the street. One of them is that currently there is no specific antiviral procedure for COVID-19. Now, one thing too for anyone who's looked it up at all, you may also see it referred to as SARS coronavirus 2 or SARS-CoV-2. The reason for this is because coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, is actually an infectious disease that's caused by the SARS-CoV-2. So it's related to the original SARS virus from 2003 that I mentioned. However, um, the issue is that the symptoms, initially at least, are very, very much like a regular cold. You get a sore throat, a runny nose, sometimes they're sneezing, and the problem is that even though most of the cases they found have been very mild symptoms, there have been some cases where it has progressed to become pneumonia and even multi-organ failure. So that's where we're getting into issues is that there are some people out there who don't realize that what they have is potentially this uh, COVID-19 virus. And so instead, they're treating it like they would a regular cold. Now, pneumonia, for anyone who's not familiar, means that there is some sort of fluid buildup in the lungs. And there's different kinds of pneumonia. There's the kind that you think of like for movies where people are bedridden and they can't get up and do anything. They also have something that's referred to as walking pneumonia, which essentially means you have pneumonia. There's definitely some fluid buildup in your lungs that's not supposed to be there. But in your particular case and with the particular 
pneumonia you're dealing with, it's not so severe that you're bedridden. It You can still be up and walking around. You just have a really nasty cough and your chest is going to hurt and you're going to feel like crud, basically. Now, in this particular case, like I mentioned earlier, coronaviruses, because they're envelope viruses, die pretty readily outside of the host, especially from heat and clean cleansers and things like that. However, what's happening is that it's being transferred from person to person through respiratory droplets. So basically the liquid and germs that come out when you cough or sneeze. And the problem is that, you know, if someone sneezes next to you, even if you turn away and they turn away, that sneezing has now put those respiratory droplets out into the air and there's a chance that you could get them on you or in you. This is why it's, it's definitely being recommended, you know, obviously things like washing your hands more carefully, trying to keep a distance from anyone who's coughing. Um, make sure that if you haven't washed your hands in a while, don't touch your face because your face has a lot of mucous membranes which those germs could get into. I'm talking about your eyes, your nose, your mouth. All of those areas have mucous membranes and because of the moisture there and because those are some of the areas that would be attacked by this virus anyway, those areas are going to be very susceptible to getting it. So if you do cough in your hands or if you see someone cough nearby and you ended up touching something in that area, make sure you wash your hands before you touch your face, that kind of thing. Uh, one downside, unfortunately, also is that like with so many different colds and viruses that people get out there, uh, the symptoms can show up quite a bit later than when you're exposed. There's a lot of factors to that. It's going to depend on how much you were exposed to as well as how strong your immune system is and, you know, a bunch of other factors. However, the onset of symptoms once you've been exposed can be anywhere from 2 to 14 days. At the moment, the average has been clocked at about 5 days. So if you were around someone coughing and sneezing about 5 days ago and you're starting to feel ill, that's about the right range. Doesn't mean you do have COVID-19, but it's something to just keep in mind. In terms of uh, also keeping yourself from being exposed, uh, they do recommend that anyone who thinks they might have the virus, so if you're sick and you're not sure, it is recommended or at least recommended to think about putting a surgical mask of some kind on to prevent yourself from coughing and sneezing on other people. So it's something you could talk to your doctor about. It's definitely not a bad idea. There's also, of course... A lot of supportive care that can be done if you are found to be positive for it. Now at the moment, one of the reasons that they're trying to keep people quarantined and one of the reasons that they're trying to prevent the spread is because this particular strain, this particular mutation of the SARS coronavirus, this SARS coronavirus 2, also known as COVID-19, doesn't currently have any kind of a vaccine for it because it's so new. So we don't have a vaccine for it. And on top of that, because it's so new, there's no known antivirals that are currently working real well against it. They don't have a specific antiviral treatment that they know works because it hasn't been around long enough for them to know for certain which one to use. There are a lot of antiviral medications out there 
However, some of them are very specific in terms of what they treat. So it's not something where they could just say, oh, you might have COVID-19. Here's 20 different antivirals. Take them all and we'll see what happens. They have to actually try to figure out which one to give for specific viruses. And it's not always going to be the same. And so this particular case being so new, they don't know yet specifically which antivirals are going to be most effective. Now, your doctor may still put you on an antiviral if you're found to be positive for it, but they may not. It's going to depend on what your symptoms are and what the most current recommendations are coming out of places like the CDC or, you know, major medical research hospitals, because those are the ones who are going to be doing a lot of research into it right now. And so those are the ones that your doctors are going to be listening to. So for the last few minutes, speaking of places that your doctors are going to be listening to, what I want to do is run through some of the CDC's website's list of their frequently asked questions regarding coronavirus disease 2019, because those are most likely some of the questions you guys have, and I do believe I've answered some of them, but I want to make sure that I answer those as well. So I'm going to summarize their answers because a lot of their answers are very long. Um, one of the things on their frequently asked questions is what is a novel coronavirus? And a novel coronavirus is a new coronavirus that has not been previously identified. So basically what they're saying is that COVID-19 is a new coronavirus that hasn't circulated amongst humans before. And so it's a brand new one. It's a unique or excuse me, it's a novel event because it's new. It's not one that we've seen before. Another one, which I've already kind of answered, is why is the disease being called coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19? As I mentioned, the disease was first discovered in 2019. It's a coronavirus and it's causing disease. So it's being paraphrased and shortened as COVID-19 in order to make it shorter for documentation and scientific papers and such. Uh, the next one is what is the name of the virus causing the outbreak of coronavirus disease? And I mentioned earlier that it is the, basically the SARS coronavirus 2. Um, for anyone who's not aware, SARS actually stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. So basically what they're saying is this is a coronavirus, which is the type of virus that I described earlier to you, you know, the one that has the, like the circle with the little pins coming off of it almost, and is an envelope RNA type virus that's it's uh, basically family of viruses. However, this particular one causes severe acute respiratory syndrome. So it's the SARS coronavirus 2 because this is the second one that they found. The first one was the one that was in 2002-2003, which gets referred to as SARS. However, they're not the same virus. There are similarities. There's a lot of similarities. They're definitely related viruses to a certain extent. However, they're not the same one. And that's what makes this both a novel virus as well as a different virus. Another frequently asked question is, is SARS-CoV-2 the same as MERS-CoV or SARS-CoV? And the answer, as I just mentioned, is no. The new virus, COVID-19, I'm just going to call it that because it's shorter. COVID-19 is a new virus. It's related to the other ones because it is a coronavirus. So it's in the same family of viruses but it's not the same virus. Okay, and the next section of frequently asked questions is regarding um, 
how it spreads. So first one is what is the source of the virus? At this point, they don't know specifically the source of the virus. They're looking into it. However, what they do know is that it was first detected in Wuhan City, Hubei province in China, and that the first infections were linked to a live animal market. So somehow at the live animal market, this particular virus possibly mutated from an animal version and is now spreading from person to person. It's not a known coronavirus, so we know it isn't exactly the same because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these coronaviruses are species-specific. However, it's not impossible for it to mutate, and that appears to be what happened in this case. Another question is, can someone who has had COVID-19 spread the illness to others? If they've been completely cleared, they shouldn't pose a risk of infection to anyone else. So if they've been isolated and now have matched the CDC criteria for no longer needing to be, which includes not having a fever, no longer showing symptoms at all, and have tested negative on at least two samples within 24 hours, or excuse me, 24 hours apart, then they're not considered to have the virus anymore. They're considered no longer infectious. So it depends. If they still have any of the symptoms, then maybe. The next question is, can someone who has been quarantined for COVID-19 spread the illness to others? If they've been quarantined and are no longer showing the symptoms matching the CDC's list that I just read off of what they consider to be someone who's clear of it now, then they shouldn't be able to. However, if you're exposed to someone while they're quarantined and they have the illness, then they could potentially pass it to you. Can the virus that causes COVID-19 be spread through food, including refrigerated or frozen food? Usually their coronaviruses are transferred person to person. At the moment, they haven't found any evidence of the virus being transferred through food. And you should be washing your hands and everything before you're making food. So as long as you're following those safety procedures, it should be less likely for it to even get into the food. And then also, of course, like I mentioned, that particular virus, coronaviruses, are generally not known to survive very well on surfaces. So it's unlikely that they would be able to transfer on packaging or anything like that. It's not impossible, but it's extremely, extremely unlikely. They'd have to have like perfect conditions. Will warm weather stop the outbreak of COVID-19? So as I mentioned earlier, uh, COVID-19 is a coronavirus and coronaviruses don't generally do well in the heat. They tend to die very quickly outside the human body in very dry, heat-heavy environments. So warm, hot weather might have an effect, but at the moment there's no way to know for certain because it's a brand new virus. It's from a family of viruses we've worked with before, but it's completely new and on its own, so there's no way to know 100% what's going to happen. They're obviously going to be watching and paying attention, and they're hoping that the spread will decrease, but there's no way to know for certain. What is community spread? Community spread is a term that's been getting thrown around a lot in the media that specifically refers to when um, a community has people who are infected without knowing how they became infected. So what this means is the virus was in the area somewhere, but it's not like you came into direct contact with a person who had it. So someone didn't come up to you and sneeze on you, but maybe you went through the same shopping center as someone who sneezed on their hand and then grabbed the doorknob. 
it's that kind of an idea. It's in the area, but it's not like someone coughed or sneezed on you. The next set of frequently asked questions, not surprisingly, is how to protect yourself. So their first question is, am I at risk for COVID-19 in the United States? Unfortunately, at this point, there is some risk here in the United States. However, it's changing every day. So it's best to keep an eye out on the news and listen for what's happening because they're finding cases of it in various areas every day at this point. And unfortunately, you know, part of the problem is that, as I said earlier, the incubation period is very long. It's two to 14 days. So there's people who may have been exposed on trips to Asia or they might have been on planes with people who came from Asia and that had been exposed over there and they didn't know. No one knew until it had already happened and the first cases had already started spreading outside of China in that particular province. So by that point, people had already flown in and out. They'd traveled, they'd gone, you know, cross borders on land. And at that point, it had already started to spread out. So yes, there is a risk. However, our risk over here is lower. And especially because people are aware of it now, everyone has started taking more precautions. So you're less likely to get it here than in other parts of the world, but there is a chance. And I definitely recommend you keep an eye on the news to keep track of what's going on. And there have been cases of it in the United States. The next question is, has anyone in the United States gotten infected? The answer is yes, unfortunately. How can I protect myself? They have a actual website page that talks specifically about COVID-19 prevention and treatment. I will give you all that address. It is uh, cdc.gov slash coronavirus slash 2019-ncov slash downloads slash 2019-ncov-factsheet.pdf. That's a very long web address. That is basically a CDC PDF of the information that is most pertinent to know about what to do. Also, at this point, because of everything that's going on, if you go to the CDC website, there's a lot of information about the COVID-19, so I definitely recommend you go look at it. What should I do if I had close contact with someone who has COVID-19? Um, if that's the case, then they uh, are being evaluated and they recommend talking to your doctor. Contact your doctor, let them know right away because they may wanna keep an eye on you or keep you quarantined for a few days just to play it safe. Does the CDC recommend the use of face mask to prevent COVID-19? So at the moment, the CDC is not recommending people wear face masks to protect themselves from respiratory illnesses, including COVID-19. They're saying to only wear one if the healthcare professional that you work with recommends it. Um, however, they do say that anyone who is showing symptoms or has COVID-19 should wear a mask because that will help protect others from being exposed to any sneezing or coughing that you do. So if you're not exposed, Wearing a mask is not necessarily going to be recommended, but they do recommend anyone with symptoms wear masks. Um, and of course, it's crucial for people who are health workers and or people taking care of someone infected, but otherwise, no, they don't necessarily recommend it. And like I said earlier, if you really, really, really want one just to because it'll make you feel better or because you're worried about it and want to have one handy, 
I would recommend looking at some of the reusable ones that you can wash and everything because those are ones that we can't use in the medical field for surgeries because you have to use brand new ones and, and new clean environment every single time. Whereas with the masks, if you're washing them at home and controlling it yourself, you can do that. And that'll mean that you're not taking all of the disposable surgical masks and things that the medical professionals need to use for our health and safety. So that's another option that you can still wear a mask, but it's one that doesn't hinder the medical community from being able to function. Their next uh, frequently asked question is, am I at risk for COVID-19 from a package or products shipping from China? As we've mentioned earlier, it's extremely unlikely because the coronaviruses generally don't survive well outside the body. They don't survive well on surfaces. And they also don't do well over big temperature changes. So it's extremely, extremely unlikely. There's been no evidence of the transmission of it from transported goods. So, I mean, if it makes you feel better, you could be extra careful or you could, you know, spray down your packages and things when they show up at your house just in case, but the chances of you getting it from the packaging are basically non-existent. Now, it, again, I'm not going to say it's 100% impossible because you never know, but it's really unlikely because that virus really does not live outside the body very well at all. Next frequently asked question section is symptoms and testing. What are the symptoms and complications that COVID-19 can cause? So it's basically a severe upper respiratory infection, a really severe upper respiratory infection. So coughing, sneezing, congestion, sore throat, the whole deal. Should I be tested for COVID-19? They're recommending that if you have a fever, a cough, difficulty breathing, or if you're having if you've had any contact with someone who had COVID-19 or if you are basically having those really severe upper respiratory symptoms, um, that you contact your healthcare professional and go from there. Your healthcare professional will be able to take that information and then depending on what they're able to find and what they determine based off of what you're telling them, they'll be able to either contact the CDC or have you come in or whatnot, depending on what's recommended at that point. But contact your healthcare professional if you're having any fever, cough, difficulty breathing, or severe upper respiratory symptoms. How do you test a person for COVID-19? At the moment, what they're doing is um, having you contact your healthcare professional and then they are contacting the CDC. There are specific tests that they can do. They have to collect samples and send them out to be tested to look for that particular um, coronavirus for COVID-19. And then from there, you'll get your results. Can a person test negative and later test positive for COVID-19? So at the moment, the CDC's uh, developed a diagnostic test, which if it shows a negative, means that COVID-19 was not found in the person's sample. And in the early stages of infection, it is possible that the virus wouldn't be detected. So if you just, just got exposed and just, just started showing symptoms, it's possible you could get a false negative. However, if you're having symptoms, then it's unlikely that a negative test would be falsely negative. It would be more likely to happen like right when you're exposed or right, right when you start showing symptoms. If you're having a really bad cold and you get tested and it comes back negative, it's not likely 
that your test sample contained COVID-19 and it's not likely that that's what's causing your illness. So that covers most of the frequently asked questions. Um, there are a few others such as, what is the CDC doing about COVID-19? At this point, they're responding as quickly as they can to all uh, reported cases that they have found. And um, there have been some instances of people being quarantined at this point. It's just gonna depend on that particular case and what also, of course, whether or not it actually tests positive or is just suspected. So they're doing the best they can and they're responding everywhere they can to the issue. And if you do need to contact them, then you can definitely go onto their website where they have sort of um, a hotline you can contact. So there's more information available online as well. All right. So I think at this point, that's probably a good stopping point, especially since I've definitely run over the half hour mark, which considering the complications with this particular issue doesn't really surprise me. So hopefully between the information I was able to provide in terms of also exactly what kind of virus it is, but just general knowledge that I have working in a medical field of what has worked, as well as the information from the CDC website itself that I just um, read off to you. I obviously didn't read it verbatim. I did paraphrase some of those answers because we're talking like three paragraphs that I paraphrased into three sentences. If you wanna read it yourself, I definitely recommend you go to the CDC website. As I said, because this is such a hot issue right now, it's, it is something that's very easy to find on their website because they want everyone to have the information. And it's a great place to go and look and make sure that you're getting correct information as opposed to, you know, like I mentioned Twitter earlier or Facebook posts and things like that. Like a lot of those may not have necessarily wrong information, but sometimes what they focus on or what's stressed makes things seem more dire than they actually are. Essentially, with the coronaviruses in general and specifically with this one, if you're following what's usually recommended in terms of safety for a cold, you're unlikely to expose yourself too much. So, you know, don't get coughed on, don't get sneezed on. If you do touch something and you don't know if it's clean or not, wash your hands or use some sort of hand sanitizer or maybe have Clorox wipes or wet wipes or some, you know just something on you to clean yourself with to remove the germs because that particular virus does not survive well with detergents and cleansers like bleach and it also doesn't survive well outside of the human host. So without coming into direct contact with them or direct contact of something they touched or sneezed on or coughed on, it's not easy to get the virus. That being said, please be safe. Please listen to your healthcare professionals. Please contact them if you're having any symptoms and you're worried at all that you may have been exposed or that you may have the symptoms of COVID-19. And please keep in mind that if you're not actively sick, medical professionals do need some of the supplies that people are selling out at stores. We need the surgical masks. We need sterile gloves. We need regular latex gloves. We need those to do our jobs safely. And so please keep that in mind when you're purchasing things. And if you're not actively sick, maybe just take one box instead of the whole rack. And with that, I'm gonna call this episode good. Please, if you have any questions about this or just in general about any of the topics we cover ever, contact us at the Geek Thyself Twitter, which is at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. 
And with that, I'm going to call this episode good. Russ and I are back together again next week with a different topic. And we will talk to you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Geek thyself.